0: So today we're going to be in Exodus chapter 15, beginning in verse 22, and we're going to go not quite all the way through 16, we'll end around verse 30, but guys, we are going to see how, as we are praising and worshiping, and we're led to then ask the question, okay, but then what? What does it look like? What does God do as he molds us as his people bearing his image? Today, the first couple things we're going to talk about, he molds us as his people by listening to us by providing for us refining us and renewing us that these these four works and they're they're intertwined right like just kind of like we talked about last week we can't take one aspect of praising God away or we can't hold one above the rest cuz then it throws off the rest of our praise and our worship to God when we see these works that God is is doing these I would say like the practical side if you will of his deliverance and his restoration what he's doing we got to hold all these together. And we're going to see there's there's two tests God puts his people through in this section. He's going to bring them into a place without water and then bring them into a place without food. Uh, now, I will tell you where the parallels end between us and the people of Israel today is we have plenty of food and water for you guys at the lunch after the service. So we won't draw the parallel to lunch there. But, but we're going to see, man, God is, is intentionally testing his people as they're being drawn near to mold them into his image. What does this look like? So we're going to look at both of these tests and, and it is a longer section of scripture today. But guys, as we are reading it, as you're hearing it together, see that this is part of a process. Okay. Sometimes it's easy to just preach on a couple of verses and give you an answer and say, okay, let's just go do this. But but le- reading this longer section, it, this is a process. This is taking time that God is doing in the work of his people. And I don't know if you've picked up on this in my demeanor, church, but I, I am in not much of a hurry. Okay? We, we are growing together. We are getting to study the word together. We are being drawn into God's presence, into his image. It's an intentional work, and it's a busy work, but it is a work that we we are walking with the spirit to get to do together. So. Chapter 15, beginning in verse 22, all the way through chapter 16, verse 30. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. So when they came to Marah, they found that they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, So what shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. That's our first test, the second one, chapter 16. So they then set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses added, saying, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, They looked to the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So in the evening quail came up, and it covered the camp. And in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone, there was on the face of the wilderness a a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, This is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil and all that is left over. Lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning, as Moses commanded them. This time it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today, so this is the next day, today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. God, we're grateful that is, we get to come to your word and we get to see last week, Father, this this beautiful picture of your people praising you. God, and we got to see when what does that mean for us if we are going to be praising you? Father, very quickly, we are then drawn to this question of, OK, but but then what? Father, we we can't literally stay gathered as the congregation for throughout the week. Father, what do we what do we do? God, honestly, I, I am encouraged that your, your, your people, Father, did not get it right. And we get to see you, you in your patience and in your grace, how you worked with them. Father, as we have read your word and as we, we study it this morning, may we place ourselves in the position of the Israelites, Father, that you are drawing us into your presence, Father, that we are not going to get it right all the time. God, we may get some parts of it right, we are going to struggle to follow you perfectly because, God, you, you are so infinitely bigger, infinitely beyond, Father, where we are. But, God, we are grateful for your patience and your grace and all the ways that you, you walk with us as you are growing us to bear your image. Father, may we be faithful to that work of your Holy Spirit today. In your name we pray. Guys, I, I, really, I really do love watching the people of Israel when they're, they're wrestling with this. Not because I love watching people wrestle, but because it reminds me they're in the same place I am, where we are learning what does life with God look like? Who, who is this God whose image we were made to bear, and, and what do we do? You know, As we come through different situations in life, what does it look like for us to bear His image? We see the people are learning the exact same things that we are. So this this morning, let's let's place ourselves with Israel and let's see. Okay, how does God work as He is molding us? Well, we I gave you the big picture. the f- The first piece of this is He molds us as His people by listening to us. And I don't know if if you maybe picked up on that throughout this chapter, but this is a theme that we've actually seen at different points in time all throughout the book of Exodus and. And as I was studying this week, I realized it's, it's something we should call out and pay attention to this morning. That as the people of God, as he's working to draw us into his presence, he listens to us. We see in chapter 15, verses 22 through 25, that as Moses is leading them into the wilderness, right? we've talked about how into the wilderness is into God's presence. So as he's leading them into God's presence, they go for three days without water, verse 22. And when they finally come to a place with water, they kind of feel like they just get a slap in the face because it's too bitter to drink, verse 23. So naturally, they begin to complain against Moses for leading them into this mess, verse 24. And if I'm Israel, I'm feeling very justified in my complaints, right? God, I'm trying to do my best to follow you. God, I'm, I'm being faithful. You've taken away a very basic necessity of life for me. And then when you finally give me something that looks like this might be it, it it doesn't work, right? If you guys have been in that place, as Moses cries out to the Lord for help, God shows him a log, and He provides for them clean water that, to, to drink at the end of chapter fifteen, and and it's it is an example of God listening to His people, right? He hears them crying out in their place, going, God, we, what do we do? We're, we're faithful. We're trying. This is not working, God, what do, we, what do we do? And you see God answers his people. Chapter 16, verses 1 through 3, as Moses continues to lead them further into the wilderness, they then start to complain about their food, right? They have been eating nothing but unleavened bread since they left Egypt. Now, it, it really hasn't been that long, but unleavened bread is, is like a very thin wafer cracker like type of substance because it's bread that doesn't have the yeast it hasn't risen Uh, it's suffice to say it's not the most desirable meal and they're just getting tired of eating nothing but crackers for days as they're walking in the wilderness so they're they're complaining about their food situation and we see they go back to this refrain that they did earlier at the red sea god we would have rather you just killed us off in egypt we would have rather gone back to where at least we had food to eat there. We would have rather died in slavery but eating food than be out here totally free in your presence but with nothing but crackers. Same refrain they had with Egypt. And you see in verses 11 and 12, God then addresses them. He says, look, I, I hear you. I have heard your grumbling that you are grumbling against me and I plan to fulfill your needs in verse 12. and. And he kind of does it lavishly. He, he gives them bread from heaven, the literal translation of manna, and he gives them quail. So he gives them exactly what they were kind of pining after, even though it was a very unhealthy pining. In this instance, God decided that's how he would provide for them. But, but more importantly, he first tells them, I hear you. You're not speaking very nice to me and you're not approaching me very well, but I, I hear you. He acknowledges, guys, and this, this is the first time we saw this was at the beginning of Exodus in chapter 2, verse 24. He hears the cries of his people, and he's preparing to relieve them from their suffering, just as he did when they cried out about slavery. And, and this, this just feels almost a little too real this morning, thinking about our brothers and sisters in Ukraine, that, guys, when we take a moment to pray to call upon our God to do his work of delivering and redeeming his people he hears in fact let me just let me read you exodus chapter 224 god heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with abraham with isaac and with jacob verse 25 god saw the people of israel and god knew right god listens to us when we cry out to him now, why that is so important to us as as part of this molding process of being in his image. Think about where Israel was at. OK, they're being led into a new life with God, but it's it's a God they don't really know. Right. They, they kind of know about him. Their forefathers, like they said, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they knew of him, but they the people have been in slavery for four hundred and thirty years years right they've seen God work and they've seen God speak to them and address them and Moses they've they've seen this this these pillars of clouds and a fire they've they're kind of starting to get to know him but they really don't know who this God is other than that he has chosen them to be his people and he's reminding them that he's the same God who was with their their ancestors and their forefathers and that he desires them to be with him so it's 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 natural, right, that Israel, is they're encountering these hardships, especially very, very basic hardships, right? We don't have water. We don't have food, God. It's natural that they would be grumbling that that following him is probably not what they expected, right? Man, if God, if you're going to deliver me from, from being in slavery for 430 years, you just, you couldn't bring clean water. You, you, you couldn't bring food other than this cracker stuff like it. The thought process makes sense. I, I hope it makes sense to you. Th- this is typically how we, we tend to approach God. And so think about what listening does, okay? When we are communicating with somebody and, and you can tell that they are not listening to you, right? How does, how does that make you feel? I mean, it, it, is a, it is a skill, but it is just an act of, of, of decency, of showing someone that you value them to be able to listen to them. I have been in conversations, not necessarily with people here, but just when you're in conversations with people, if you could tell that they are not listening to you or that they're very distracted, they're just doing a poor job of listening to you, even if you're not doing a good job of communicating to them, right? Some, sometimes we don't want to listen to people because they're being very dramatic or they're, they're being very loud, they're yelling at us. But when you can tell that somebody is not listening it, just, it makes you feel like you're not worth their time, right? That, that you are not valuable to them. And one of, one of our values here as a church is that we value the image of God, right? And if we see that in someone, just the simple act of listening to others, guys, is a way we bear the image of God to one another because he's affirming his people. Look, they're not being very faithful. They're not being very kind. They're not being very loving, very patient, with this God who has delivered them out of brutal oppression, okay, for 430 years. But even even in the midst of that, it is an act of grace and an act of patience that God is doing to listen and draw them into his presence. And as God does this, as he's revealing his patience and his grace to them, it also is teaching them he wants them to be with him, right? As, As they're still trying to figure out who this God is and what he's, wanting of them, the fact that he is valuing them in a place where they're not being faithful to him, it, sh- it is a, a jarring reminder almost to them, he wants them to be with him. Guys, it is our, our human nature, you see it in our culture, it is our nature to if we don't feel like we're being heard, t- to fight to make our voice heard. So the act where. God can tell his people are not listening to him. And what you see his default response and what we've seen all throughout Exodus is is not almost just putting off a power trip to fight to make his voice heard. You see him actually pausing to listen, a huge act of patient grace. But it's something God does to draw us into his presence, to mold us into his image. So God listens to us as he molds us as his people. The second thing he does is he molds us as his people, is he provides for us, right? Talk about patience and grace as they're really complaining against God as he's listening to them. Not only does he just listen to them, he provides for them. In chapter 15 verse 25, the first half of verse 25, you see he responds to Moses and Israel's cries at Marah by turning the bitter water into fresh water by giving Moses a log. To throw into into the bitter water. A little bit odd. We'll get to that in a second. But God provides. He provides exactly what they're asking for. In chapter 16 verses 4 through 5. He responds to Israel's cries for better food in the wilderness. By giving them manna. Manna a Hebrew word that literally means bread from heaven. Right? It's bread that came in the form of the dew. But literally he is giving them something from his presence. Bread from heaven. And he also provides for them the quail in verses 13 through 15, since they were also complaining about, okay, the bread is nice, but really we also would like to have some meat to eat. The Lord is providing for his people. And you also see his provision comes with the set of instructions that they were only to take what they needed for that day. The sixth day they they were told to gather twice as much so that on the seventh day they could rest. In verses 13 through 15, you see they also had to be taught, they didn't know what the manna looked like. They see it, it's this flaky-like thing, they, they have no clue what it looks like, and Moses actually has to tell people, hey, this is God providing for you, right? So God is providing, and then he's teaching them what his provision looks like. So how provision kind of fits into the picture of God molding us as his people I think first off, guys, you see very clearly God provides in ways that we do not often expect him to. I mean, you, you guys have seen this in the history of this church. God provides in ways that we do not often expect. As Israel cries out for fresh water, God gives them a log, right? You're you're thinking, okay, Lord, this, this might be a nice log. What does this do as far as giving us fresh water? And as they cry out for food other than unleavened bread, he provides for them more bread, right? They're, they're asking for something, God, and he's, he's almost giving them exactly what they've had in this, this manna. And, and when he gives it to them, they don't even recognize what it is. God is providing in ways that they didn't immediately recognize he was actually providing for them. I think you see in the people of Israel, our default, when we come to God and we ask for him to provide our needs, is we have an idea in mind of what that looks like, right? Israel went to God and said, God, we remember when we were sitting around the meat pots in Egypt. We, we were all getting together. We, we had these big pots that we would we'd cook our meat in. We were sitting around. Our pots were full. We had this wonderful bread that was like actual bread, not crackers. They, they had in their minds an idea of what God's provision ought to look like so much they missed it when God gave it to them. So guys, it's a reality for us. God often does not provide in ways we expect. But he does provide, secondly, because he provides in ways that lead us to submit to him. That he's been at work delivering and redeeming his people. Guys, his provision is actually pointing them back to this work. Right? His provision, you see multiple times in chapter 16, verse 4, and in chapter 15, verse 26, he points out that his provision was specifically to test them. He says, I'm, I've provided them to test them whether they will walk in my law or not, chapter 16, verse 4. And guys, I think it is very interesting and a unique parallel to the New Testament. Moses had to point out God's provision to them. right? If, if Moses hadn't done that, they would not have eaten the thing that looked like dew on the ground, the manna. If, if Moses had not put the log in the water, they would have not understood, oh, the log is intended to make the water fresh. Guys, it is a picture that if it had not been for God's Messiah, God's Deliverer, his people would not have known what his provision looked like. And you see Jesus echo this, the same thing in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, where he points out, we ought not to be anxious in our lives because God does indeed provide, right? If he can clothe the sparrow, if he takes care of the lilies in the field, how much more so does he take care of his people? But he ends with teaching us that his provision is not just around getting a need across to people, it is to lead us to seek his kingdom daily, And in his prayer, when he teaches the disciples to pray in Luke chapter 11, the Lord's Prayer, he teaches them to pray for our daily bread. Just as here God is telling them, only take what you need for that day. Right? Don't take so much that you start to feel secure in what you have. God, I don't need you anymore. Don't take so little that you're constantly distracted. Like, God, you gave me a little bit, but I really needed more. Take exactly what you need for the day. Trust that I will provide for it tomorrow, right? Live in the provision I have given you for today. Trust that he will bring about the new provision for tomorrow. As God molds us as his people, guys, his his provision is very intentional. That it also points us back to his providing and restoring, redeeming work. So we see as, as God is molding his people, he's listening to them. He's providing for them. The third thing he does is he refines them. That as God molds us as his people, he listens to us, he provides for us, he refines us. In chapter 15, the, the last part of verse 25 and moving into verse 26, as God provides the fresh water, right, the language of the covenant kind of comes back, comes, comes back into play. As he listens to them, he, he tells them, I'm listening to you and I'm providing for you, but you guys are to listen to me and to obey me, to live according to me, to my nature, and to my word. And in verse 26, he, he reaffirms this, this covenant with them that he is their God, right? And they, they are his people. And he promises that if you do this, I, I will not put those diseases on you. I am your healer. I will uphold your life. He's reaffirming this covenant that he would have made with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. It's, it's still with the people. He's training them. Right as they're getting to know him for the first time, this is what it looks like, right? That as I'm I'm listening to you, I'm providing for you, I'm also teaching you to be with me in my presence. In chapter 16, verses 6 and 7, you see, as they're complaining about the lack of food, Moses and Aaron tell Israel, he will reveal his glory to you, right? Not only is God just going to meet your needs, he is going to reveal his glory to you as they're starting to understand more of who he is and what he does, even as they're struggling to follow, not only is God providing, he shows up. And he reminds them of his presence and his glory. Guys, I think if you look down at verses 16 through 21, you also see not only is God teaching them how to gather the food each day in verses 16 through 18, he's also teaching them this is what that looks like by the way. He says, gather as much as you need. By the way, all you need is an omer, right? Just a a unit of measurement they were to use to say, okay, if you're telling me, Lord, that you will give me everything I need for a day, here's all I actually really need for a day. And as some of the people gathered more and some of the people gathered less, God, you know, in his grace, you see that uh, you know, whoever gathered much, this is verse 18, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. So he's teaching them, what does it look like? How much do I need if I'm gathering my daily bread? And he's he also teaches them to, again, to trust his provision, refining that in them because he knows their tendency is to not. And you see in verse 19 through 21, some of them didn't listen to him. Some of them tried to keep it for the next day. They were hoarding their leftovers, and worms show up, okay? I don't know how many of you guys have ever eaten something after you've seen a worm coming out of it, but I can tell you personally, I have never eaten anything that I could see a trace of a worm being in, okay? The apple has a hole in it. I don't care if there's not a worm physically in the apple. I'm not not eating the apple. It's a very visual reminder. We cannot eat this, and we cannot rely on this, and he also provides the sun to melt the leftovers. So he's taking away the temptation on multiple fronts to go back out and to gather more. They thought, guys, I think it is a beautiful picture. They thought they knew what they needed for their daily amount. And not only is God teaching them, trust that I will provide it to you. He's also teaching them, and this is what your daily bread looks like. It's, it's, it's so cool to watch just the level that God is teaching and walking his people through as he's molding them. So what do we see about the refining work and why refining is part of the process? Guys, I think refining requires a committed relationship. That is, God refines his people into his image. You see, he's He's affirming the covenant of them. He's, He's showing them who he is to them and who they are to him. Because he knows, look, we... We tend to, and, and we people of Israel, but also us today, we tend to sacrifice this kind of relational refining process for whatever we consider to be results, right? We, we all have different ideas of what results we're looking for, but you know we, we want to see our culture changed. We want to see lives transformed. We want to see growth. That's like the big buzzword for many churches. We want to see growth. So we, we structure things Accordingly, because we, we want to get to this results part, right? But not at the sacrifice of this refining. God doesn't push Israel away for their lack of results, right? If, if God was purely, if he was purely results driven, his people are not doing a great job right about now, right? Every instance they get, they are crying out to him. Every instance of hardship, they are saying, we would rather leave you, God, than deal with this with you, they're not being very faithful people, but he's faithful to refine them to show them. Okay, let me teach you more about this. Okay, I see you struggling here. Let me show you more about who I am and how this this fits into where you are at. So if we're gonna be a people who bear God's image, we, we need to dwell with him in such a way where we allow him to do this refining work in our lives and that we're in community with other people because we don't do this refining work in a vacuum. Guys, we don't do this work alone. Nobody really enjoys the refining work. There, there's the, the old adage that misery loves company. We are given this work to get to do together because the goal of refinement isn't necessarily results. It's a vague word. It's, it's not results. It's, it's image-bearing. Why God is so patient and so gracious with his people is because he's not just trying to get them to reproduce some, some system. He's trying to get them to bear his image. And this is where at the beginning of the sermon, I was saying, we can't just, we can't just separate things out, right? We, we can't just look for one of these pieces, just his, what God tells us, just what he, how he provides for us. As his people struggled to live faithfully, he's, he's teaching them over and over to trust in who he is and what he has done. So he has to remind them of who he is and what he's done, but he's growing them in this. This is a picture of discipleship, guys, we see all throughout Scripture. This is in the language of our, our mission, our vision, our values, what we want to see happen here at New River Fellowship. So the last one, he listens to us, he provides for us, he refines us. Fourthly, he renews us. This is kind of the complete rhythm we see here. God molds us as his people by renewing. In verse 27, it's, you might read it and think it's just a little interesting bit of commentary. But you see that as God has brought them into a hard place to test them, and he's provided for them a source of water that they can drink from, he now leads them to a different place that now has 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, a, a picture of a literal paradise out in the wilderness, right? So as he's put them through a season of refinement, of having to call upon him, of having to really physically see his provision, he then brings them into a place where they just get to be literally in, in, in a little paradise moment with him. Um, some of you guys know my background is in engineering, and I love Numbers and numbers in Scripture are typically that they are very literal, and there's no reason for me to say there's not 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. But especially in the Old Testament, numbers can also carry a, a theological or a symbolic meaning with them, right? So, the 12, 12 is often associated with the elective purposes of God, right? That God has chosen this people to be his nation, and he's ordered them in 12 different tribes. There's 12 tribes of Israel. Seventy is often linked to God's perfect order of his creation, 70 being a multiple of seven, perfection, and ten, the Ten Commandments, just the order that God gives. So they're being led into a place that literally is reminding them of who they are to God in seeing the 12 streams of water, but also seeing how God is is renewing them, how God is refining them. He's molding them into something perfect that comes from him in seeing 70 palm trees. In verses 8 through 10 of chapter 16, you see how as he's listening to their cries, providing for them, refining for them, verse 6, he he reminds them of who he is to them. Verse 9, he gathers the whole people together. Verse 10, he reveals His glory. So as they, again, they walk through another testing moment. Here They're getting some teaching and then there's a pause where they just get to see his goodness and his glory together. The entire congregation. Guys, which we know from last week, there was at least 600,000 men. So there's at least a million people that are gathered together getting to see God's presence right here. In verses 22 through 30 in chapter 16, if you guys picked up on this, God builds in a day of rest, the Sabbath. And the Sabbath is a picture all throughout Scripture of God kind of giving them a routine of as they're going out, as they're learning to trust, as they're learning that he does provide for them, to also have a time of rest and of being renewed in who God is and what he is doing for them, He wants them to rest in verses 22 through 26, and he takes this very seriously. In verses 27 through 30, when they don't rest, he says, how long, verse 28, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? The Sabbath is a very intentional, very holy thing that God has given for his people to do. So why is this renewal, why is this last piece so important? Guys, it, the renewal reminds us of God's ultimate desire for us, right? If, if we just look at each one of these individually, kind of separate them out, it's easy for it to make it about ourselves. Listening, if we just focus on the fact that God listens to us, we can start to feel pretty good about ourselves, right? Man, God listens to me? Like, I can tell him what's going on and I can expect something of him. It kind of starts to lower our view of him and elevate our view of ourselves in his eyes. If we only focus on the fact that God provides for us, we start to see God as, as an ATM, right? Man, God, I just need this, this, and this. If you could take care of this, thank you. If, if we only think about God as a God who refines us, we can start to see him as a, a, a harsh God that's just, man, trying to beat us down so that he can recreate something. His morality, usually it's tied to that. He could just build something else within us right? We can't lose all these pieces together. In his renewal, we see in light of his listening, providing and refining, he reminds us, he's ultimately, again, he wants us to bear his image and he wants us to be with him. That is his desire for his people. And it reminds us, guys, that if this is really what God is after, we have to rely on his spirit to do this, right? We cannot make listening, providing, and refining about ourselves in light of the fact we cannot do this work on our own, right? God did not just keep throwing trial after trial after trial at his people because in doing so it would teach them that they had to be the ones to figure it out, that they were the ones responsible. And he shows them, I'm going to test you and I'm going to show you this, but then you're going to pause and remember who does the work, who makes you capable, who grows you. And that is me. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. He's actually teaching them in these rhythms. It's not for you to have to do more or be better. It is for you to rely on my spirit to bear my image. Guys, as he's working out his deliverance and redemption in our lives, he is molding us as his people. We're going to talk about the second half of that next week. But today, what God does as he is molding us, guys, he listens to us. He provides for us. He refines us and he renews us. So as we as we close, as Ian and Catherine come back up, I want to give you guys a couple things to to pray about um, as we we have a moment to pray and then sing our last song. Guys, do we believe that he listens to us? Right. That is a big deal. That when we, when we pray, it, it's not a, a plea where we're hoping that maybe it gets heard and maybe it gets responded to. He listens. He listens to us. Do we know that he provides for us? And if we know that sometimes we tend to miss out on his provision work because we don't know what it looks like. If he provides for ways we don't expect, then God maybe... Maybe instead of asking all the time for you to provide for me, I need to also include in there, Lord, show me where you are providing for me. You might be meeting my prayers, Lord, and I'm just not seeing the answer. That's what happened to the people of Israel here. So do I believe that God provides, and do I believe that I don't always see that provision exactly? Do we let God refine us? How good are we as a people at being able to admit where sin has affected our ability to bear his image, that we need his refining work to, to grow us in that. And lastly, do we trust that he renews us? Guys, God, God puts us in seasons where we get to be at peace with him and at peace with our surroundings so that we are reminded of his goodness and his glory and all of who he is and what he does. So as you ponder these questions, guys, with me, um, just join with me in prayer. And we will sing and, and then we can, we can talk more about our meal. Thou maker and sustainer of all things, day and night are thine. Heaven and earth declare thy glory. But I, a creature of thy power and bounty, have sinned against thee by resisting the dictates of conscience, the demands of thy law, the cause of thy gospel. And yet I still live under the dispensation of a given hope. Deliverly Deliver me from worldly dispositions, For I am born from above and bound for glory. May I view long and after holiness as the beauty and dignity of the soul. Let me never slumber, never lose my assurance, never fail to wear armor when passing through enemy land. Fit me for every scene and circumstance. Stay my mind upon thee and turn my trials to blessings that they may draw out my gratitude and praise as I see their design and effects. Render my obedience to thy will holy, natural, and delightful. Rectify all my principles by clear, consistent, and influential views of divine truth. Let me never undervalue or neglect any part of thy revealed will, Father. May I duly regard the doctrine and practice of the gospel, prizing its commands as well as its promises. Sanctify me in every relation every office, every transaction, every condition of life, that if I ever prosper, I may not be unduly exalted, or if I ever suffer, I may not be overly sorrowful. Balance my mind in all varying circumstances and help me to cultivate a disposition that renders every duty a spiritual privilege. Thus may I be content, be a glory to thee, an example to others. Amen.